0: I want to start off by communicating we're over the this month and this quarter, we are talking about our foundations and our faith. It's a good time of the year to go back and, and double check your foundations. You know, we've got some you know freezing days. We're in the middle of winter. So when things freeze, sometimes we can develop cracks in our foundations. Or if you tried to build a foundation yourself, or you try to get the the cheapest builder to build your foundation. Sometimes you can have cracks that develop in your foundation. So it's good routinely to go around your house and check your foundation. It's good to routinely go around your, your doctrine and your theology, the things that you believe about Jesus, and just double check and make sure that, hey, is that block in the right place? Is this sturdy enough to build a house on? Because if we build our house on a faulty foundation, when a storm comes, our house breaks. And if we build our faith on faulty foundation, when a storm hits us, we break. So this month, we're, we're focusing on uh, the part of our foundation that's based that God is love. If I don't have that foundation stone in my theology, I will, I will mess everything up and Movies and media, William Shakespeare, everybody in the world has a different opinion on what love is. I have an opinion on what love is. Our opinions don't matter. It's what God's opinion of actual love is. So if I go to the world to define attributes of God, I'm gonna mess things up. I have to go to scripture and, and derive my theology, I have to derive my doctrine, I have to derive the thoughts that I have about God from scripture. And we are Christians, and the Bible is a huge book. And so when I say, all right, well, you need to derive your, your theology, your doctrine, your thoughts about God from the Bible, well, goodness, where do you start? And I'm here to tell you, you start with Jesus. There's lots of things in the Bible, there are lots of people in the Bible that have relationships with God. Abraham had a relationship with God. Joseph had a relationship with God. Daniel had a relationship with God. Moses had a relationship with God. But in John 1.18, it said, no one has ever seen God. Well, Moses did. Abraham did. Ezekiel had uh, visions of God. But John says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who himself is God, And he is in the closest relationship with the Father and has made him known. Have you ever heard a story about somebody else and it was like told secondhand? It's like he said, she said, that they said this. Well, you know that when you hear a story from secondhand, it's of inferior quality from firsthand experience. You know, I've been to Disney World before, but I can tell you about Disney World. But I've never been to Disneyland in California. So I think that my experience transfers, but there are some things about Disneyland that's not true about Disney World. There are some things that are true about Disney World that are not true of Disneyland. So I can tell you about Disneyland, but it would be better for you to go talk to somebody that's actually been to Disneyland, all right? So when we get into scripture, there's a lot of people in the Bible that have had relationships with God that weren't firsthand experiences. So when I learn about the Father... I go first and foremost to Jesus. If I don't see something in Jesus, it is of a secondary quality. I'm not saying that it's not scripture. I'm not saying that it's not profitable. But we've got to be able to rank the importance that we de- derive our theology from. So we as Christians have a Christ-centered theology. So I have to go to Jesus to figure out something that's going on. So if you, in your Christian walk, spend most of your time researching and studying like the minor prophets, is it a waste of time? No, it's not a waste of time, but goodness, it is much easier to eat a healthy, balanced, nutritional diet than it is to supplement all day long. Your diet might not contain iron, so you have to supplement iron, but it's a whole lot healthier for you to go eat spinach as opposed to buying supplements it's a whole lot healthier for you to go to Jesus to figure out who God is than for you to be translating Micah and some you know weird have you ever like you know prophets in the church will stand up and they always have some obscure verse out of like well in Jeremiah I saw this I'm like well let's spend most of our time with Jesus and then let's supplement all the other stuff so knowing that Jesus is the source of our theology How in the world does he describe his father? How does he describe um, his kingdom? Well, we're going to spend all day and uh, all next week in Luke 15. So I'm going to read Luke 15, verse 1 through 10. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to Jesus to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them, exclamation mark. So all these tax collectors and Pharisees were watching Jesus go get McDonald's with people of ill repute. And they're like, how in the world does this religious person spend all of this time with all of these heathens? So Jesus told them the story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in all of her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So when we are going into these stories to try to figure out who God is, we have to figure out the character that God is representing in this story now in the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin would you say that the father is the lost sheep or the lost coin no probably not he's not he's not the table he's not the wilderness no he's the one that's looking for the thing that was lost so think about the lost sheep we represent the sheep by the way i don't want to spoil anything and there are times that I get lost. So what is our Heavenly Father's response towards me? He values me enough to search after me. We have got to lay this foundation in our lives and we've got to never let it crack. There are, the vast majority of Christians are not convinced on this, that you are valuable enough to be searched after. But when we communicate things to people that don't operate in the church, a lot of the times the message that they get from the church is that you are this rank sinner. Who, what's wrong with you? Quit sinning. And we communicate a lack of value to people outside the church, we communicate a lack of value to people inside the church. A lot of the times the church places a value on you based on how often you volunteer in the children's department, how much money you give to the church. That ranks your value. Your value has nothing to do with that. Our Heavenly Father thinks that you are valuable enough that even when you're in your lost state, even when you're acting like some dumb sheep that gets led astray, you are valuable enough for the heavenly father to come searching after you. Lay that in your life. And when the heavenly father sees you, what is his first response? You dumb sheep, I can't believe. This is the 15th time I've told you not to wander away from the flock. Get back here right now. Is that what he does? Of course not. He sees the sheep and rejoices. When your heavenly father thinks about you, joy fills his heart. Remember that, that first time that you uh, asked out the hot girl or the hot guy? You know, it's like, ooh, there they are again. <laughs> That's what our heavenly father experiences when, he, when you cross his mind. Remember when your kid got born and the first time you saw him? even though that they looked like a horror show? Oh, gosh. By the way, not all babies are cute. Like, we, we say that all the time. Like, those first few minutes, it's like, whoo, man. Would a father ever say that? Uh-uh. When that father sees that kid, oh, you're incredible. Joy fills the heart of a father when he sees his kid. So when you get led astray, when you have an idiot moment, we think a lot of the time when the Lord finds us in our lost state, that he comes with retribution, he comes with frustration, he comes with anger. No. Our Heavenly Father, when he sees me, responds with joy. Way to go. He takes the lamb that was lost, puts it on his shoulders, restores that physical connection. When, when you have a kid, what's the, one of the first things that you do? Put him on a bare chest establish the connection of relationship. When we find our earthly kids in trouble, a lot of the times we respond with anger, frustration, aggression. How many times have I told you to clean up your room? No, I'm not going to give you any dessert. You didn't even eat your spinach. How dare you? (laughs) It's the 15th time I've told you to put your shoes. That's earthly wisdom. That's earthly earthly relationship that's earthly love because we are flawed and broken individuals we cannot define God's love by our experiences see the thing that we mess up when we say that God is love we assume that he is just the best version of us We assume that his love is like my love on a good day. If I eat my Snickers bar and I have my cup of coffee, I can be a pretty loving individual. And we assume that God's love is just like me times 10. His love is an entirely different thing. It's an entirely different thing of substance. Our love is just a vague shadow of his love. So I've got to lay in the foundation of my theology, the foundation of my heart when I come into worship, when I read scripture, when I'm communicating the gospel to friends, when I'm living out my life, when I'm going to God in devotionals. The, the, the thing that I cannot argue about, the thing that I can't question, I can't bring it up for debate is the fact that he is crazy about me. That when he sees me, his heart is flooded with joy. And it is the father's desire to always to restore connection. To take that lamb who's probably wandered off many, many times before. And where if I have a lamb that keeps on wandering away from the flock, do you know how good lamb chops are? Well, if you won't stay with the flock... I'll eat you and then turn your wool into a coat. It's not what the heavenly father does to us. On the 170th time that he has had to go find this sheep that's got his head stuck in some thorn bush, filled with joy, restores the connection, puts the lamb on his shoulders. And when he goes back home, he stops everybody from what they're doing and he throws a party on your behalf. You were the reason that you were in your lost state. And he still celebrates when he finds you. So that's the father's experience. What's our experience? What's, what did the lamb do to get lost? Was it the lamb's fault that it got lost? Yeah, it wandered away. It had feet, it had legs. Have you ever seen sheep eat? They just keep eating grass until they run into something or get led over a hill, or get lost in some river somewhere. All the lamb did was follow its appetites until it got in a, in a position that it didn't need to be in. There are times that you guys are led astray. Thank God I'm above all of that. I, you know, I've experienced maturity in my faith and I never get led astray. So what did the lamb do? The lamb was dumb. It was ignorant. Did it? did it mean to get lost? Did it wake up one day and go, you know what? I'm going to develop a heroin addiction. No, it didn't do that. It just followed its dumb appetites. It listened to its base instincts and just kept eating until he found itself around people that I shouldn't be here. Have you ever followed your appetite into positions that you did not need to be in? The person that has an affair doesn't wake up in the morning and go, you know what, I think I'm going to throw my family away. No, they were just following their appetite. The person that has a drug addiction, do you think they wake up one day and go, you know what, my family's doing all right. I think I'm going to. The drug addict doesn't wake up one day just wanting to throw everything down the drain. They just follow their appetite. Until one day, they look up and go, I don't even know where my house is. Even when you get led astray by your own idiot desires, the Father still rejoices to come after you. You're not a bad person. We're just dumb sometimes. There are things that are broken in you because of your appetite and because of the people that have influenced you, let me see if this resonates with anybody. Have you let people on social media or the news lead your anger or your fear into places that a little bit stressful this week? It's like, why am I so stressed? It's because I let people lead me astray. could have turned the TV off. I could have closed Facebook, but I didn't. I just kept scrolling. And all of a sudden, wow, now I'm stressed out. Well, did anyone do that to me? Nope. I listened to somebody that I thought was smarter than me, and I led myself into a messed up situation. This represents Adam and Eve. Some snake got into the garden. It's like, baby darling, will don't you eat this fruit? I don't think I'm supposed to. Pssh. Trust me, there have been times in your life that you were led astray by people that were more influential than they should have been. There are decisions that you made in high school. You just got around a bunch of idiots that led you astray and it broke something inside of you. Well, what's our response? I've got to be okay to be able to say, you know what, I am an idiot sometimes and I get led astray. Because if you ever get to the position that you think that you are above and beyond being beguiled, hoodwinked, influenced, hornswoggled. Everybody remember uh, Hatfield and the McCoys on A&E, with Kevin Costner? It's like that one guy who's like, they hornswoggled me with love. We get hornswoggled sometimes. But my response as a lost lamb, what did the lamb do to get found? Nothing. What do I do to get found? Nothing. I simply let the shepherd pick me up. Thank God. I receive the finding of the Lord. That's, that's my only job. I need to be able to receive that love. We have a hard time receiving that love because our pride and our arrogance want us to, well, you can't ask for help. Can't ever act like you're lost. You can't ever act like you don't know what's going on. You'll never get found like that. How do I get found? Help. Ma, Help. I also need to have compassion on people that are led astray in idiocy. Now, this week, this is as political as I'm going to get. There are people that you have seen online this week that you think, I cannot believe that people are so dumb to believe that, whatever that is. You believe people just get led astray by such idiocy? I do it all the time. I need to have compassion on people that I think are led astray by idiocy people that are led astray by the appetites of their heart, people that are dealing with drug addiction, people that are dealing with gluttony, people that are dealing with adultery, people that are led astray by their own idiocy. I need to have compassion on them because I've been there. I can't judge you. I've been there. So I need to receive that love, but I also need to have compassion on other people that need to receive that love. So, Luke 15, 8, there's a lost coin. One of the things that I want to bring up about this when God is, or when Jesus is describing his heavenly father, one of the ways that he uses as a descriptor is he compares our heavenly father to a woman. So, if you get bent out of shape about reading the shack and, like, well, our God's not a woman, Jesus describes God as a woman. I'm just throwing that out there just in case you needed something to be offended at. So go for it. Well, what does she do? She loses a coin. Well, when she loses that coin, she lights up a light. She brings light into the darkness. She sweeps the entire house carefully. When she finds the coin, she celebrates so what does that mean? When, when I look at God, how do you love? You are worthy to be searched out for. You are valuable enough for me to wake up in the middle. You know, when you wake up in the middle of the night and you try desperately to leave the lights off, to keep my eyes closed, because I want to be able to go back to bed. So it's like, you stumble towards the bathroom. You stumble you know, to grab something to drink and you try to keep one eye closed. And like, I want to try to stay as close to sleep as possible so I can go back to sleep. You are more valuable than that. God is not trying to search after you in his spare time. You are worth stopping everything, getting out of bed, flipping on the lights and searching for. You are worth turning over the house. Have you ever been looking for something and like, the first couple of days, you seem like a rational human being when you're trying to find it. And then at some point in time, dressers are being flung against the wall. You know, like you're flipping things over. You're throwing things out of the closet. Like at some point in time, you get frantic trying to find the thing that you've lost. I lose my sunglasses every other day. I don't search after my sunglasses because they're not valuable. I just go buy more. I have, I have figured, I've budgeted, in an idiot tax that I lose my sunglasses, I'm just gonna go buy more. These are more valuable than my sunglasses. I do not just go buy another set of headphones. When I lose those things, which I do all the time, we search for those. We find my AirPods. Everybody be quiet, listen for a sound. If I lose my phone, I would rather lose my glasses. I'm addicted. I'm working on it. If I lose my phone, we stop everything and we go looking for it. If I lose my car keys, which I do all the time, we stop everything to go look for it. How much more valuable are you than a set of AirPods? How much more valuable are you than a set of car keys? You are worth stopping everything. So when we we find ourselves in a position that we get lost, a lot of the times, we avoid going to the Lord because we don't want to inconvenience Him. You need to look at yourself differently. We don't define ourselves. Our identity doesn't come from a mirror. Our identity doesn't come from social media. Our identity comes from the Lord. And what we know of the love of the Father is that you are no inconvenience for Him to find you. You are worth Him searching after to find you. When she finds the coin... She wakes now. She little light, so people should be, in, you know, in bed asleep. She brings all of her friends together, flips on their light switches, wakes everybody up, and celebrates. She throws a block party at two o'clock in the morning because you are worthy of celebration. And unless I. Unless I believe that, unless I lay that foundation in my life, I am going to warp all these different verses that we're reading. I'm going to view God through this weird skewed lens because I don't actually believe that he loves me like he says he loves me. This is what faith is. It doesn't feel true when you look in, at yourself in a mirror. It doesn't feel like you're worthy of this. It doesn't feel like you're valuable enough for the God of creation to stop everything that He's doing and come in, come to look for you. But unless I believe what He says, I'm going to be led astray by the enemy all day, every day. Now, from the experience of the coin, what did the coin do to get lost? Nothing. The coin doesn't even have legs like the idiot sheep. The coin just got lost. What could the coin do to get found? Nothing. There are things that have happened to you in your life that are in no way, shape, or form your fault. But they broke you regardless. When we take up uh, the collection to make the boxes for our school system, had a conversation one time about like, well, you know, these poor people, like they've got food stamps and their mothers are wasting their food stamps on meth and not feeding their kids. Okay, that's not the kid's fault. It's not the kid's fault. We're sending boxes of food home for the kid. I don't care what decision their parents have made, those kids are worthy of the covering of the church to try to help them. There have been things that have happened to you when you were a kid that you couldn't have controlled at all, but they taught you that you weren't valuable. Some adult said something to you, some teacher said something to you, your parent said something to you and it's not your fault. There, have been, there are people that are listening to this that have been sexually abused and that wasn't your fault. There have been people that have been abused by your parents. That wasn't your fault. What did the coin do to get lost? Nothing. We live in a broken world and sometimes there are evil things that happen to us. It's not your fault. So what should you do To restore your brokenness. Something happened to you and you got broken. How are you going to fix it? The coin couldn't do anything to get fixed. All the coin had to do was be a a willing recipient of the finding of God. We have to receive the love, the finding, the celebration. It is the, the receiving of that love, it is the receiving of that celebration that heals that brokenness. But if I simply start coming to church and I don't let myself be found, I'll never experience the joy of the Father and I'll always think that he is some harsh, mean-spirited individual. I have to let it dip down from my head into my heart that I'm found, I'm celebrated and I'm valuable. Last point. Every, both of these stories, it ended with, and there is joy in heaven over a sinner that repents and comes back. So what's, what's the deal with this repentance thing? And then our brains go, "Ah, there's the catch. You said that the lamb can't do anything to be found. You said that the coin can't, can't do anything to be found. Ah, but there's this repentance. I've got to come in and beg God to come find me. No, no, no. In the New Testament, every time the word repentance is used, it's a Greek word, metanoia. It is a changing of your mind. It's not, repentance is not stopping an adulterous relationship. It's not stopping an addiction to drugs. It's not the action of stopping. It's the changing of mind. It's the paradigm shift. It is the realization that I'm not lost. I'm found. And so I want to flip everything that we had been talking about around a little bit. So, in your Bible, when you read Luke 15, it says that there is a lost sheep, that there is a lost coin, and that there is a lost son. The story isn't about a lost sheep, the story isn't about a lost coin. It's about a found sheep and a found coin. So, what we try to do in the world is to communicate you guys are lost. All you rank sinners, you heathens out there, you people in the church, you're lost. That's the repentance that we need to do. I've got to change the way that I think about this. I'm not lost, I'm found. Those people that are out in the world that are stumbling around in the darkness, they're not lost, they've already been found. They got found 2,000 years ago. That's what the Lord was doing. He stopped everything to be born into this world as a human to search for us and find us. And he found us, the human race. When you're led astray, he found you 2,000 years ago. When something happened to you that you got broken and abandoned and it wasn't your fault, he found you 2,000 years ago. The process of maturing in Christianity is letting the reality of that situation drop into our hearts is that I'm found. Thank God I'm found. I'm found by a loving father. And if I can change the way that I think about myself, that's repentance. That's what kicks off the the joy, the party in heaven of like, he got it. She got it. You're not you're not broken anymore. You're not abandoned anymore. You're not rejected anymore. You're found. I don't feel like that. I, I know, that's, that's the hard thing. We don't base the f- decisions that we make in faith on our feelings. I go to scripture and to find out what's true of me and I live my life according to what scripture says is true about me. Not because I wake up one morning and go, well, that's it. I didn't receive a text message when I wanted to receive a text message. Therefore, I'm abandoned. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll just go eat worms. That's what our feelings tell us. I don't base my life off of my feelings. I'm found. I don't know, like, God's just rejected me. No, He's not. I just don't feel like my prayers are being heard. Yeah, they are. I just feel like I'm stuck. God's not moving in my life. Yeah, He is. The repentance is the switching of that mindset, it's the switching of that. Like, I'm found. I'm found, I'm not lost anymore, I'm found. And as our brains, as our minds start switching on that, we will see the manifestation of that in our lives. Because is going on in here, we will manifest out here. If I've got depression, sadness and abandonment up here, I will manifest that in my life. If I have got anger brewing up here, I will manifest that in my life. If I have truth brewing up here, I manifest the kingdom of God in my life. So it is vitally important where you let your headspace go. So forget everything that I said today. The thing that I want us to to remember from this is that you are valuable enough for God to stop everything that he's doing. Every time he sees you, his heart is filled with joy. He throws a party every time that you're around. Even though that you don't feel like it's true, The Holy Spirit throws a party every time that you're around. I have got to let the truth of that sink into my heart. Well, I don't think that I'm worthy enough to cause all that commotion. It's not up to me to define my worth. It's up to him to define my worth. I got to trust him. Let's go ahead and stand up.